remember watching you and Phil Hesketh qualify in 2015, I think it was, in the regionals. Mm-hmm. And seeing you two Brits go off, male Brits, because obviously some are trailblazed, um, off to the games, I was cheering for Phil, no particular reason other than that I'd followed Marcus through in a fight and then had picked up. And I was like, oh, who's this other guy, Steve Fawcett? Oh, and obviously you were better than Phil, so at <laughs> <laughs> the games. But it, it, it's taken so long for the male competitors in the UK to kind of catch up with you guys. Yeah. And it, I'm going straight off the deep end here. It seems that we've gone through a phase of people really wanting to get to the games and be athletes. Yeah. To people wanting to be popular in the media. But that might just be an outsider's viewpoint because you obviously get to see the hard work that is going on behind the screen. It'd be really interesting to know how hard it was for you to get to the games and then what you've seen with UK CrossFit going from there. Yeah, we have gone straight in with the interview. <laughs> um, Sorry. Yeah, I guess to start with how hard it was to, to, to get to the CrossFit Games, look, it was, um, you know, I started CrossFit, I got to the CrossFit Games in 2015. I found CrossFit in 2010 and properly started training it just beginning of 2011. Um so four years or so to get to um, to the games at, at that point. Uh, but that has obviously come off the back of playing lots of different sports through growing up. And I wasn't just, you know, coming into the gym untrained. I'd, I'd already had a, a relatively decent level of kind of athletic foundation. Um, but, you know, it's hard to sum up how hard, how hard it is to get there, really. Um, I think everyone who's obviously who's got there knows and it's still quite hard to even explain it to someone who's just like at semi-finals level like actually how hard not even how hard you need to train because everyone trains hard it's more like how relentless you need to be with every aspect of your life from you know preparing for your training session doing the training session like not just completing it but you know actually doing it properly with intent doing the right things um, making the right decisions in the training session and then it's making the right decisions after the training session between training sessions you've got to have the support network around you with your friends and your family to be able to support you because you you do become quite a bit of a uh, a burden maybe is the right uh, word to to describe it on other people around you who are in yeah. common contact uh, frequent contact sorry um and it does it does require a bit of a support network alongside you just on like like a, a relentless pursuit to to get there. Um it's interesting. Yeah. I, I was spoke to Paul Worry about this a couple of days ago, not about you, but about athletes. And it's it's kind of like the swan. Everybody sees the top bit and above yeah. the water, but no one sees all that other stuff yeah. that the feet are doing under the water. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what Instagram, which is probably what we'll get into, into next, is doesn't show, it doesn't show the feet under the water, just go in, do all the things that, that you need to do just to, to get that extra 1% that could be the difference between, you know, like, like Faleska, for example, he took fifth that year. He just scraped in, just past um, Philip uh, in that last event. Yeah. 
And like we're talking, it's not just margins for the last event, but it's the fact that he's kept himself within those margins for all the other six events, uh, five or six events. And what he's needed to do, potentially, especially with Phil for that year, like with his strict handstand push-ups and his, his handstand walks, like how much time and effort he had to make just to be 10 seconds faster on that handstand push-up workout, which could actually have been the difference between him making the games or not, which then has a huge effect on the rest of his career. It's just, there's so many things that add up. I, I call them inches and, and, and we're known on GST for calling them inches. And it comes from that... Um, any given Sunday speech, I'll compare. Yeah, like that every like that he says the inches are everywhere, and it's like there's always somewhere where you can be just gaining a little bit of an an inch to be able to get closer to what you need to be at to be at the standard to to qualify. Um, yeah, but it's a, it's a good point though to to raise. It's it's not just about the training as well. It's all of those things in your life outside of the training that you have to get right. And I remember watching when Bradley Wiggins retired. Um, there was a documentary on TV and he was talking about how much of an arsehole he was when yeah. he was training, when he was at home. And he felt like the worst person in the world because his, his coaching team told him to do nothing because yeah. he needed the rest. So his wife had to do everything. And he was like, I, just, I was just sitting there like, oh, can you pass me that? Because I can't get up. Yeah, yeah. I'm not allowed to. And it's, I think it's that idea that, you, that you're talking about, that idea of you have to have everything pointing in that direction to get to the top. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's it's hard being that type of person as well because, you like you said, Bradley Wiggins, like you do feel like a dick and you do feel like, like you're being really selfish. Um, and I guess, I can't remember which podcast it was. It was either one of um, Diary of CEO or one of James Smith's. It was... Um, although you feel really selfish, it's actually the most selfless thing you're doing because the amount of like how inspiring you potentially be into, you know, a next generation of athletes and, and what you kind of laying, laying down for them. So it was quite nice to hear that after, after thinking that you'd been like selfish for so many, so many years. Um, but yeah, like even just last week, you know, I, I was doing, doing the open this year. I'm, I'm in the master's category now and I was just trying. So it's probably the first time I've, done the open competitively um for i don't know five years or something six years and um it's hard to get back i know i need to get back into that bit of a mind frame where i'm you know, i need to be all about myself and my performance uh but because i've been away from it and kind of enjoyed not not being that uh i'm making myself out as like I'm, I'm some huge dickhead but um, no, no. But there's a competitive mindset, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And you know, just things like there's there's like seven or eight guys in the gym, and it's ten minutes before I'm starting my workout, done my warm up, and I want to get in the zone. And there's a lot of chat, there's a lot of shouting, a lot of laughing, and and joking around. And usually, and previously, like six, seven, eight years ago, anyone's around me would know that if it's ten minutes before the workout, like everyone's just quiet, and you just let you just let me get on with it um and it was a different vibe and part of me was just like oh, just let it go just fine everything's all right like i'm not i don't need to be that person anymore and then i was speaking to my wife after and she's just like look that's what makes you tick that's what works the best for you to like have that preparation and that that time to be able to fully zone in so if you if you need that to compete again then then you need it and you need to just let people aware i guess it's just doing it in a way where you're not um 
losing friendships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think if you're honest with people, say, look, this is just this is just how I operate, and once it's done, I'm fine. But just give me those ten minutes. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, yeah, it's probably more than ten minutes, like, but uh, <laughs> yeah, like it's don't forget, it's the best word. You probably it's it's relentless. Um, and so much respect for people that can do it year on year. You know, I managed it once as an individual, you know, two more times after that with a year in between as team. But for people to be on this the journey, like you got likes of Bjorgvin, who've got maybe like seven or eight, um, maybe more than that, maybe nine now appearances, just year on year, just turning up. Yeah. Um, just so much respect for how they're able just to keep that level in, of intensity within the life and the commitment to it just going year after year after year um but you have a family so you have other things that kind of take priority Bjorkman doesn't have children as far as I'm aware uh yeah yeah but I've um you know 2016 I didn't have a family 2017 I didn't 2018 I didn't um 18 I did actually at the end of 18 he was born in 2018 um yeah but not before the game so that's fine yeah yeah, yeah. um I don't, I don't know. Look, but there's people that have have got families and are, and are doing. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to say like that having a family was a reason or it was a was part of it. For me, it was actually probably more that I couldn't keep living with the lack of funding. You have to drop them at the amount of workload that you're doing, and but I think I had about five hundred pounds per month worth of sponsors that I was getting, which is you know it was nice, it was okay, but it wasn't. You know, it's covering the rent and a bit of food for the um, for the month. Um, so, you know, for me, I had to be doing other things. I had to create JST Compete. I had to be working on that stuff to be able to keep a bit of a um, some income coming in. And I think that's at the point there where Bjorgvin that year he got third, and I think he won about sixty grand. Um, at that point, that's the, a, a career changing point for him, just to be like. You don't. You can just go at this and nothing else. You don't need to do anything else. You can just go at this again next year, and then he repeated it next year, and then he won Dubai the fitness championships, and it just set him on this um, a pedestal. You know, with all the ability and commitment he had, it, that then just added to it, just to help him uh, go and go. Um, so I think things like that, like financially, um, the financial help, which I guess leads into that second part of the question uh, there. Which how, how did you word that second question? So the, the, the change kind of, yeah. it felt like, so these are my words, nobody else's. It felt like back in 2015, it was all about being the athlete, getting to the games. The social media stuff wasn't really a big thing, but it was slowly growing. I would suggest over the last five years, perhaps with the introduction of, uh, of Craig Rich's YouTube channel and that kind of thing, it's all very much look what I can do on social media. I'm doing well on here. The games, it seems like a nice idea, but actually sometimes it feels like the social media thing is more important than actually being an athlete. And that's from someone just looking from the outside in. Yeah. And, you know, I did a few posts, a few stories about this type of thing a few weeks ago. And I'm, I'm still undecided of what is the cause of it really. Now, You've got companies who are, who are giving out sponsorships and who are paying athletes or they're paying people. Um, we'll call them some of them athletes. Um, 
but they are re- the reason why they're paying them is because it's used as their marketing strategy to get more sales for their company, yep. which is, makes complete sense. Um, and who are these people making the decisions to give out these sponsorships to these people? Quite often, they aren't people who've come from CrossFit. They don't really know much about CrossFit athletes who is showing some really good potential to be coming through and he's going to be the star in the next few years. They don't really know, might not even care um, about looking at that. They want stats. They want insights of that person's Instagram. They want to see how many followers they got, what reach are they getting, what's their interaction like on their Instagram. And um, that's ultimately what is going to get them sales which you, which you can understand that but then it's taken you know if there's this pot of money which is available let's say just within the uk from brands to go to um athletes a good chunk of that pot of money is going to a place to support people who aren't necessarily who don't necessarily have the end goal or maybe they think they might have but they don't have the goal of getting to the crossfit games and they might not have the ability to get to crossfit games yeah um, so I don't know whether it comes from the athlete or it comes from, you know, these brands that are, that are involved in, in the industry. Um, from an athlete side of things, you know, we've got a girl, uh, Jennifer Muir, a uh, Scottish girl. She, in my opinion, is showing like the potential to be the next um, biggest female athlete out of the UK. Um She's a PT. She works, I don't know how many hours she works, she works full-time PT, coaches classes, you know, like a lot of athletes do. Um, she fits in a session just in these two little time slots that she's got through through the day. And for her to keep advancing through um, the ranks and, you know, hopefully make semifinals this year and then keep making an impact, she's going to need to start opting for a lifestyle more like the rest of the games athletes have got to be able to train and perform to the level that that they are every, every day. So at some point, she's going to need to drop the amount of on-the-feet PT hours and coaching she's doing. Um, and she needs to... There's no real other way of earning that money that she needs to be able to eat and live and, and et cetera, um, other than showcasing maybe what she can do on social media and, yeah. and building a, a following um so there's part of that now that an athlete needs to have that following to be able to get the lifestyle that they need in order to compete at the games or in order to have the lifestyle to to compete at the games um so it's from both sides is that the brands are then potentially spotting the wrong people and the athletes are feeling like they have to maybe start a TikTok account, start doing reels of the training daily in order to get the reach and the following to get the the brands who are not actually looking at them because they look at people who've already got the following because of maybe aesthetics. Um, and so there's a, just a bit of a cross-off. So everyone's yeah. kind of like headbutt in the wall. And it's, mm. it's and then it gets to the point where the, the, the difference between those two genuine athletes and likes to maybe think they're a genuine athlete to get the sponsorship from the outside world those lines get really blurred so people don't actually see the difference and Mm -hmm. then that makes the sponsors even they've they've won even more if you like because 
they're seen to be giving money to someone who genuinely is the athlete yeah because that's how it's perceived and you can understand that and also from the pretend athlete's point of view shall we say um they're winning as well because they don't have to put in all the effort and they're still getting all of the rewards from the the sponsorship and they yeah. maybe have made a decision in their minds maybe I'm, I'm speculating here um that yeah that's that's better than putting in the effort and going to the games because i'm unlikely to get there anyway yeah absolutely like you said that that those um let's just call them influencers have got the have got the lifestyle and the backing and the support from these brands that the athletes need mm. but they're not putting the work and the effort and they maybe don't have the ability to do the training and the performances that the athletes can do um you know and it and it's very hard i can probably only say there's josh alshamar who is good at both and I think that just comes down to a lot of his personality. I think it's quite natural for him to to be like that, who, you know, it can be someone who's, you know, influential as a person on uh, social media in terms of like representing brands, but then I can also back it up as, as an athlete and put in, put in the work. Um, I feel like it, for me, I can't, I don't like being the influencer. I'd rather just be the athlete, but when you're in that training session, I don't know, you're, you've got this two hour training session to do. It's very hard to, or I find it very hard to fully commit to this training session and give everything to this training session I need to do and make sure I'm recovering in my rest periods in order to repeat the intensity that I'm needed, that is needed, blah, blah, and still be able to get the footage of that training session to do all the things that you need to do, make it into a reel, et cetera, you know, for, to do what people um, want to see. And it's just even just like the mental uh, responsibility of in between your training sessions, then needing to get your video out and just edit your video or make a post that is about something. It's just, it's, it yeah. feels like it's, it sounds ridiculous, but it's just extra mental responsibility you don't want to have to do because you've already took on this load of all the expectation and pressure and stuff that you're putting on yourself with training do you think do you think that's also and i say this being older than you you know there you go on the app, yeah i'm just thinking do you think actually with the younger um athletes coming through that's less of an issue because actually social media is just ingrained into what they've done whereas Instagram reels, videoing stuff was never something that we've done, and it's something we've had to bring into. That said, the two chaps that have qualified from the UK is um, Zach and David. Mm-hmm. I would say they're massive social media posters. No, I think Zach's probably Zach's a bit more. Zach's, Zach's Zach's done very well in terms of, and I got all the respect for Zach. He's he qualified out of the open, but he's not. Been, been, yeah, and it's. I don't say it disrespectfully. He's there's there's myself, Phil, David, and Elliot as yeah. the guys that have qualified, and none of us are great at social media. We all have a relatively good social media media following, but it's not something that I know all of us are. Like, we don't really enjoy doing it that much. Um, we've done it because we have to do it, and now we've got this following that we probably need that probably feel the need that we need to like keep 
going so it doesn't mm-hmm. just dwindle off. Um, but I think just coming back to the the, the, the start that you said there, that young people coming through and it's it's easy for them to do so. It, it is, but then that also makes me worry that they feel like that 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 is part of what they have to do to get to the top. And it's not. You actually have to not do that to get to yeah. the top. I, I totally agree with you. And I thought I thought a very similar thing, that it, it becomes one and the same thing in people's minds, that being a CrossFit athlete is also to have a really big following online and do all these things yeah. online. And I think that's quite a dangerous um, path to go down. And just mm-hmm. to pick up on something you said before, and it, it popped into my head, and again, I don't want to raise the um, sort of <laughs> raise too many cycling uh comparisons here but in terms of funding um sports in this country get funding you know there's there's athletes get sponsored um because they're showing high potential in a particular discipline within sport in athletics in cycling whatever that may be through um through government funding is that even a a kind of a a twinkle in anyone's eye in terms of that right you tried to set up a foundation, didn't you, an organisation? Yeah, there is the International Functional Fitness Federation, the IF3, which is the world, the international governing body for functional fitness. Yeah. The FRF UK, which is Fitness Federation UK, actually was formed first and was like, there was was eight or nine of us that sat around a table in Bath uh, five or six years ago and had this discussion, this discussion about creating a governing body. And, um, that was where it started. And then, you know, we had contacts from America and all across Europe and started to branch out this idea. And this is where all these, these governing bodies are formed. If you look at someone like Norway, they've probably got one of the leading governing bodies in functional fitness. They've got a batch of athletes. Um, I don't know the number, six to 10 athletes that are pro- being provided funding from this governing body to be able to be full-time athletes. Now you look at Norway and what they're doing the team that was second at the games, there's, they've got, um, they've got, af- they're just chucking athletes out left, right, and centre at the moment on the on the world and European stage, um, and that's what that whole concept was about. It just didn't. There's a few things. It didn't get the back in. We maybe had a bit of a um, not the right approach to be able to get people in and on board. Part of it, people just seen like it was something against CrossFit and like this new thing that was trying to like rip CrossFit off. But really, it was there to support athletes to compete in CrossFit. Um, and at the point where it needed to really start taking off, COVID hit um, and just 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 wiped everything. And and the guy who was pumping his own money into the federation just couldn't keep pumping his own money in, so um, it had to stop from there which is is sad I do hope that at some point um, someone somebody kind of gets it going again I had to I, just before COVID actually came about I dropped my uh, commitments to it just because I couldn't give the time and effort and that, that it needed to be able to do it justice and I know I was, I was kind of seen as I was the president of the, the federation but um I couldn't give any daily work to it to to help it grow. So I just said, look, someone else needs to have this role and do this in order for it to succeed. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't it didn't take off. But that's that's definitely something that needs needs to happen. I think. Yeah. So let's um, do a ninety degree turn and talk about JST and how work pays off. Okay. 
you know, because we like to hop from one place to another. So you set up JST yes. on the back of your success as an individual athlete and to kind of bring people through. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, so I started in 2014. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it was started because at CrossFit JST, we naturally had like a quite a good competitive vibe. Like there was myself and the, the other owner, John, who both competed, competed at regions level individual. And we got Phil Esketh in to be a coach as well. And, all of our coaches were all competitive people so we kind of set a bit of an example for other people within the gym to be competitive and um it led to running competitors classes in like on thursdays and saturdays and then these people got better as we as they had a bit more you know competitive coaching and then they wanted to follow something that wasn't just the classes through the week as well so then they started getting extras and it just developed then people from you know, 30, 40 miles radius started getting interested and they wanted to come and they wanted something to follow as well. And then we turned it into a service that, you know, you follow this 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 program. And I think 2014, before the games, and we maybe had 30, I think maybe had 30 or 40 um, athletes that were signed up. And then, and that, so that was 2015, 40 athletes. And then 2017, we were talking about 200. So it, it multiplied and multiplied um, kind of off the back of that and off the back of the athletes it was creating as well. Were you the first kind of what is now the normal <laughs> remote online um, training provider, program provider? Warrior was before me, I think. Yeah, I think so. If I remember correctly. Um, I didn't what, see. I didn't start following Warrior Program until 2017, so I was a bit later. So, yeah, I do remember. Um, <laughs> maybe it was a similar time. I don't know, but he, he was in there as well. There was Invictus that was about obviously, but UK wise, I think there was there was myself Warrior. I think Andy, Andy Edwards and Ollie Mansbridge maybe started something, but it was more just like individual. Um, there was a handful of us, uh, but no one really. It was always everyone's little piece on the side, I think, from what maybe the main project was. And the same for me then, like the main thing was the gym and this was a piece on the side. Um, maybe I was one of the first to be, to make that become my main focus and my main kind of job. Uh, I'm not sure. But yeah, there was a handful of us all in and around like a similar time that started. Um, I, I don't know who was the exact first, but I know Warrior was an early adapter as well. Yeah, I know he says he's been, I think he's been doing it for the last 10, 10, 11 years. Yeah, yeah. So you've done Jesty, that's been successful. And now you've got this chap, some unknown guy called Mark Fraser, asking you to join his business. Yeah, uh, I wasn't sure who he was at first. <laughs> so how, I don't know you've spoken about this in other places, but how did that come about and why now? Yeah, so... Um, 2019 um i kind of i'll give you a little bit of a backstory about about the full life story because we njst compete we, we had our own website that had someone developing for me yeah and it got to the point where we'd outgrown it really it crashed frequently created more issues than it solved and um i needed a better platform to deliver my uh, online program and I happened to see Emma McQuaid actually just post a little screenshot of a system that she was using called Fitter mm -hmm. and it 
the main thing I needed was something that took payments and automatically linked them into access to this program. And if someone cancelled, it automatically chucked them off. That was the main thing. I was paying someone a full-time wage to keep on top of that. Um, so that was the main thing I needed. And then obviously for it to be professional and, and function and not crash. Um, so I got in contact, followed Fitter, and then within a minute, within the same minute, I had sent Fitter a message and Leon, the founder of Fitter, sent me a message back from his own personal account. And he's like, we're both messages of the same time. And um, within three days, he was in Wigan. We had, he would come from London and Stephen had away. And he traveled up to Wigan and we sat down and we had a coffee uh, and basically said, this is what everything that I need from a platform. Like, these are my ideas of what a platform should do. And he just said, do you want to come on board as part of Fitter and we'll develop this into this this beast um, and provide something that isn't available kind of elsewhere. So that was the beginning of starting then with Fitter as well. Put JST Compete on Fitter. And then as we're developing Fitter, we're, you know, we're getting into talks with investors. We're looking for an investment round. And um, Leon said, we need Matt. Fraser or Tia. These are two people that are the head of CrossFit. And he said, yeah. we, need one of, we need one of them. And um, I was like, right, okay, we laughed and joked about it a little bit. And I said, well, actually, I know Matt O'Keefe. I've, you know, I've bumped into him a few times, competitions. Um, I have his email address because of what a palooza, been one or two things that we'd emailed about. Um, let's just chance it. And within 10 minutes, Leon wrote out this email and we just popped over O'Keefe a message and just in terms of, we'd just seen actually Fraser was uh, hinting on launching a coaching brand, this HWPO brand. So we chanced the message, sent the email out and um, he came back uh, pretty quickly actually within, within an hour or, or two and just kind of said, look, they're already sorted with an app for Fraser, but you know, there's opportunities for other athletes and let's get talking, blah, blah, blah. So we had a few conversations and then nothing really came about it. And then six months later, they turned around and apparently the app that they were using was Tosh and um, they needed something way better. So it was at that point then that we started working quite closely with them with Fitter and HWPO. And it's at that point then with those conversations that I was having in terms of with my Fitter hat on, um, did O'Keefe and Fraser start um, you know, mentioning the potential to come on board with HWPO. Um, I think a lot of things just matched in terms of like our values and our beliefs in terms of like training methodology and where we think now our opinion on certain things within the industry, like we're just on the same page with a lot of things. And, uh, you know, we're talking beginning of 2022, then it became more of a, a serious conversation about, you know, how I could join HWPO. And then by the time it came around to, I think it was September 22, um, yeah, it happened and I, and I joined uh, I joined their coaching team. How's it going? Uh, really good, actually. It was a strange, um, hard decision, obviously, to make. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like, yes, definitely. Although, you know, part of me was like, yes, definitely. But it's just like, yes, but how was the main thing? Like, how is this going to work? Um, but honestly, just, I think it really helps that Matt's training, um, 
Matt's idea of training methodology and what he's been successful is very similar to what mine was. So it, it's not like I'm having to kind of like buy into this new way of doing things because I believe everything that he believes in terms of what's the best to be way to be, you know, prescribing a program. Um, so yeah, just really, really enjoying it. I feel like I've got a good level of responsibility that the job is um, stimulating. At the same time, it's very nice and probably the first time in, I don't know, 10 years that I can probably close a laptop and about 5 or 6 p.m. and switch off more. Nice. I just have a bit more time with my wife, Fran, and and, and, and Jesse and just be a bit more uh, vacant. And switch just, off. Still, like, thinking about stuff for the rest of the night, although it does happen still. But, um, yeah, I feel like I've got a bit more balance back in my life mm-hmm. as well. it's kind of you know you you're your own boss and you run your own business and you're responsible for 10 15 other people's wage and um you just it just gets it gets quite intense and i've definitely been yeah. i definitely suffered burnout a few times in the last few years and um because of that and it's 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 been nice to be able to kind of breathe a little bit and still have like a, a stimulating job like it is yeah i think when you have your own business it's 24 7 isn't it really because yeah. you don't not miss it so what does that mean in terms of jst if you're with hwp um so i still own jst um me and my wife still own it She's, my wife's still working in it she does a lot more of that kind of the admin work i still speak to jack frequently and just make sure because jack's kind of taken a little bit more of a um operations role day to day like running the business yeah so still make sure everything's going well and you know um the direction of it's uh, of it's going well but um you know i've got it to the point where we've got the the staff and the coaches on board to be able to keep delivering a high quality level of program and service without the need for me to be working in it so much um so yeah it's still still functioning well still obviously clearly developing and and producing high level athletes um so it's a bit it was a bit of a strange couple of months like the two and um but it feels feels more normal now that that's just that's just how it is it's nice are, are you so you're one of the coaches on the HWP. Yeah. Does that mean you are delivering to specific athletes or to broad service yeah. users? Or um, both? So I'm um, I'm the manager of the HWPO Pro program. So that's a program that's that's targeted towards like top 300 in your region, semifinals, games, athletes like that that kind of tier athlete. So it's two sessions a day. It's three or four hours of training a day. Um, it's pretty, it's quite a lot for, 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 for most people, but that's where that program is targeted. Uh, and I'm just in charge of um, the coaches that we have involved in that program. So there's myself and four others, and um, there is in and around 500 athletes subscribed to that, which I, I manage in terms of, you know, there's, there's a circle community, which is just like a separate app where people asking questions, sending in videos, etc. It's giving out content and information to those guys so that they can follow it to the best of their ability. Um, 
so yeah it's it's mainly just like to that big group of people that are on that one specific mm. program that's that's my role so in terms of you you mentioned before in terms of how um we sort of had a particular with 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 matt uh sort of shared view of how to how to approach uh approach the training and the programming and things um yeah. and you have a sort of quite a specific way of sort of programming in that um tell us about that what's what's the what's what's the approach what approach do you take um maybe maybe i suppose there's two parts of that and maybe goes back to when you were more involved in jst with the maybe more public face of programming for people who just want to keep fit and maybe kind of do a bit of bit of the open here and there and place well within their particular slot and then you've got the other side of things which is your people who are going to regionals and semis and or are looking to kick on that's a big question sorry yeah no no I, I understand it it's so i can probably the best way i can describe it is that it sounds it sounds very anti-crossfit but for a lot athletes that are competing at that level of crossfit is that crossfit itself actually takes up quite a minimal amount of this training program and in terms of priority of crossfit workouts across the year only as we get into like maybe this stage of the year now where it's like the open and quarterfinals and then semis does the CrossFit style work become more of a priority? doesn't mean it's not in there. It's just less of a priority um, through the rest of, compared to the other times of the years. So it's more, it sounds again, just like really straightforward, but it's more strength and conditioning. It's the mm. easiest way to put it. It's strength and conditioning and then CrossFit workouts just make up, you're just getting that little bit of a, a stimulus one that keeps people a bit more interested because obviously that's what they love doing gives you that little bit of a stimulus so it's not a complete shock to the body but you need to be developing uh your strength your technique your gymnastic well, technique and weightlifting gymnastic your your um energy systems your exposure to you know different types of contractions different types of skills the ever never-ending uh skill continuum that keeps coming uh, at us from especially now with bars with these new exercise and new demands that we're having to do it you've got to be focusing in the majority of your training at those areas and then bringing it all together actually is quite simple and it's the easy bit and only needs to kind of happen um you know when it when it needs to happen when the season's coming like it's you know eight to twelve weeks out from the season um so that was quite refreshing for me because i feel like under JST, maybe because we had to appeal to for, for this for the business to be successful, we had to appeal to a slightly wider range. And by doing that, you maybe had to water down that belief a little bit in order for it to be interesting and not boring. And uh then the big variety in the training program where really how I trained from, you know, when I when I stepped it up kind of like 2012 through till 2017-ish, it was, um, if I was weightlifting, it was a weightlifting session. If I was running, it was a running session. Then it was a gymnastic session. And rarely was I doing like these crazy running into squat clean, into uh, ring muscle up, like blends. Uh, you know, it, it would happen. Um, but for the majority of the time, I was either training to be a runner, I was training to be a weightlifter, or I was training to be a rower, or I was training to be a gymnast, and developing all these skills kind of separately. And then when I developed them all to this level, then I brought it all together so I could do it all at the same time. 
And that's the, so that's the, that's the distinction between being an athlete in CrossFit as opposed to using CrossFit methodology to be a healthy individual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think that's where there's a little bit of a, again, another bit of a crossover where people start CrossFit and they love CrossFit and then they want to become competitive and then they then they start following some competitive programs and they realize, oh, actually, I'm now doing less of the thing that I really enjoy doing. Um, so now I don't enjoy it as much. And then it just doesn't fit together. Um, so I think that is a little bit of a uh, an issue. And yet, you, know, you, know, you can get very good at CrossFit from doing majority of the CrossFit workouts. But in order to be, you know, really pushing for development in all areas, you do need to have a bit of a different approach, in my opinion. And that was the same, obviously, opinion that um, Matt had shared. Um, and well, it worked all right for him. <laughs> a little bit. Just a touch, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, coming back to being athletes, is your, are you planning, is the desire to go to the Games as a Masters athlete? Uh, I would like to, yeah. I would yeah. like to. So I, I turned 35 in May. Um, which puts me in the Masters category for this season. With Rich? With Rich, yeah. Um, I would like to, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm training too, like I, I'm everything at it, but I'm, I'm fully aware that my, how, how much I can um, invest into training isn't what it has been previously for me to get to that level. So I'm a little bit in the unknown as to like, I'm training the hardest with what I've got available to, yeah. to get. And is that going to be good enough? I'll only know if I keep giving my best and uh, perform in the, in the quarterfinals and semifinals. I suppose the difference is you've got 10 years of hard training behind you already, as opposed to a 32-year-old going, oh, I'm going to go to the Masters at 35. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, I don't really need to learn new skills. There's obviously new skills that are coming out, like uh, double under crossovers, things like that but the triple unders never caught on though did they they they, oh. they they showed the hand and then just went away again yeah I mean I think yeah I think it has to be a, in a live competition with skilled judges and I don't think that's even semi-finals level no they yeah. can do that but yeah just things like that and then for, for me really it's um, it's just getting back that edge I can do it I'm, I'm strong enough you know I I probably need a bit more fitness currently, but it's just bringing back that edge to be able to do everything to the standard without kind of any, any weaknesses just dropping me out of the level that's needed. So um, like I say, I, I'd love to be able to compete uh, in the masters, make it to the games. Uh, I could take off individual team and masters at that point, but um, you know, I'm not, chucking all my eggs in the basket, maybe like I used to six years ago to, to make sure it happened. Were you happy with, sorry Paul, I was no, just going to say, were you, were you happy with um, how the first open workout went? Uh, not really. for yourself? <laughs> no. No, um, you know, I was, I beat my score from nine years ago by three calories. And, you know, you could look at that and go, yeah, fair play. Like you're better than you were in 2014 when you were throwing the kitchen sink at it. Um, and in the last three years, other than from nine months ago, three years previous, didn't really train consistently. Um, actually took up cycling for a full year of that. Um, so 
you know, there's part of me that's happy with it, but I wasn't, you know, I wanted to score much higher. I wanted to get into Tulsa Bar. Um, but it was probably the right workout that I needed at this for the first workout of the season to be like, right, if you actually want to get to the games as a master, yeah. you need to sort of shit out a bit more um, and, and properly uh, get into it. So it was a good little wake-up call. Are you coaching yourself or have you got someone programming for you? Uh, yeah, I've always coached myself, strangely enough. Um, I've had coaches um, that have helped me with areas, but in terms of like being in charge of my full program, it's always been myself. So obviously I write the HPO program. What I'm doing a lot of the time is doing workouts that I'll then put in that program, testing them. Um, a few strength cycles and stuff that I know works for me. A few accessory movements that I know work that I need to do for my body. Um, and then the yeah, conditioning off the the pro program, which is at, at current, like so the current conditioning pieces that are in. So a little bit of a mixture, but generally just me um, living inside my own brain, coming up with coming up with things to do. Yeah, you've not gone to hey Matt, just um, just sort me out something for the uh, next nine months or next six months. Uh, I know I might need to prove myself a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to a, I'm going over to Vermont actually in April. Um, there's a training camp with all their pro athletes, so Mal, Jason Hopper, Amanda Barnhart, Katrin, etc. Um, so that'll be that's kind of that's more I'm more nervous for that than the actual semi-finals of Masters because I'm going to turn up to this training camp and just just get absolutely wiped to the floor with every single every single session of every day. Um, but just think how much better you'll be at the end of it yeah how much more my ego will be uh, battered this one not at all they've done no more than you've done yeah I don't know, I don't know. or you've no. done no less than they've done except for Matt yeah. um, it, it's interesting so you talked about Boz uh, and his the way he's looking at things we had a chat with Carl, Carl Pauly after the games and he was saying there was a workout they did. Was it called the alpaca workout? And they had done that back in San Francisco 10, 12 years ago, back at the old San Francisco CrossFit. And he said, Boz has always kind of been that gymnastic because he was a circus gymnast, wasn't he? Are you kind of excited to see where he takes it with his background as opposed to Dave's background? Yes, and you know, I don't think there'd be a huge difference from Dave's and, and Boz's, but what, what I do like is that li- this little bit of a like the first workout they open, for example. I know it's a repeat of something that happened nine years ago, but nine years ago it was the fourth workout of a five week open where it was like, right, at that point, you start you need separators, that's why yeah. there's the outside the muscle ups, and now it's at the point where. That's just the first, like that's the inclusive workout. There's 20 ring muscle-ups at the end of it. So I think it was a clear statement as to what you need to start being capable of and a little bit of a middle finger up to these, you know, functional fitness events that are really low skill and don't require you to have to learn exercises, learn new skills and and go out of the way to to get coaching. You know, it's not just rowing and burpees and and, and chucking like dumbbells around you actually have to spend time 
developing these complex skills. And I think that's, we've been putting that workout was the first one of this year. I think that's a big statement as to where the rest of the year will go in terms of challenges that athletes will face, which, you know, they're not going to, you're not going to come up against at turf games or national fitness games. Like it's CrossFit, this it's ring muscle ups at a minimum. And yeah. You can do them, then you'll get to the next stage. And I think, I think that to kind of go back to the very first question in terms of like where the, where the UK scene is going, I feel like that's what's been missing. Is it's gone too? It's great that it's gone inclusive. There's the argument that competition shouldn't be that inclusive. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, should be hard. Yeah, it should. And um, this is a, a statement to be like, right, well, no, actual CrossFit competition is not inclusive. No, and that's why they've given the scaled options. If you can't do this, there's the scaled one, do that instead. Yeah. And I think that's fair. And uh, I had some friends say, oh, it's not very inclusive for the first option, for the first workout. And I said, well, actually it is because you can go and do the scaled one instead. You still get a good workout from it. Yeah. But one you can have a pretty good engine to get to the end of the clean so you're even staring at the rings to begin with because it's a lot of toes to bar if you're inefficient and then cleans at 60 is not particularly heavy for the top athletes but that's a decent weight for people that are not overly strong at a decent number i think it was a good test so yeah i, I fully agree yeah and um, i think it's relative as well because I, I do agree, and I think for, for someone who is who, who does CrossFit for just general fitness, um, I think you sometimes forget it is a sport that has the competitive side because for a lot of people, that's what they're going to the gym is. And actually, it was a wake-up call. And I, when I got up on Friday morning and seen those uh, ring muscle-ups in it, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm capped at 180. That's going to be, you know, kind of, and a lot of people will be at that level as well. But yes, I, I agree that even just to be able to get up and do a CrossFit workout, you've actually achieved something that a lot of people, just the general population, haven't been able to do. So there does need to be a differentiator between people who can get through a CrossFit workout for a fitness point of view and also people who can get through it and get high enough up the leaderboard to progress in the sport rather than just the fitness element of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, big big fan that something like that has has, has come in. I think we're we were all just prepared for the really inclusive first workout, which it always has pretty much been. Um, and you know, my little rants on on stories a, a few weeks ago about competitions not being um, being too inclusive to get more people to sign up to them so they can make more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the open and CrossFit have just led from example there and by. Just saying, well, you've got 50 toes to bar, and if you get past them, you've got 20 ring muscle-ups. And it's just, uh, yeah, I think it was great that it was week one. So I hope, I'm hoping they're going to go heavy this week because that will be another separator. Yes, that would, um, yeah. I don't actually, I think it'll be barbell-related. Whether they'll go... Heavy, I'm, I'm not sure. Who knows? Or awkward. Something like um, overhead squats, a uh, moderate weight, because they're awkward for most people. Yes, yeah. And with double unders or wall walks, so your shoulders are just... Yeah, yeah. 
Well, they did the they did the um, I can't remember when it was seventeen eight or eighteen maybe, which was the um, I think it was hundred double unders, and then they had the twenty overhead squats at fifty two and a half something like that then another 100 double unders then it went on to the ring muscle ups as well after that and i think a lot of people got 220 in that workout because they got through um the 100, 100 that, yeah. and then kind of can't do a ring muscle up so i think yeah that's yeah that's been been done before and again it's a yeah decent one sorry hijack that so we're almost coming to the end of our time so i've got another question for you uh with tia out this year Top, I'm not going to ask you to name one person because I don't think that's possible. Obviously, you're going to plump for Mao a little bit because he's in HW period. Um, but who do you see vying for, for Tia's crown? And is Roman going to take the, take the title for the chaps? Um, it's tough. So the, the women have actually... Uh, so there's Kara, who's out. Yeah. Obviously, Briggs is not competing this year. Tia's out. And there was one other big one. Yeah, um, uh, the young lass um, from Free, uh, Mayhem, whose name now escapes me. Hayley. Hayley Adams is out. Adams, it? yeah. That the one. Um, so, you know, it's 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 wide open there. Obviously, there's Mal. She's got a second last year. You've got Laura Horvath. Um, and he's throwing her hat in the ring, hasn't she? From a, She's going to go sing... Uh, yeah, and he's and he's back in the mix. Individual, uh, it's it's any it's anyone's um, it's anyone's guess really. And then yeah, there's there's obviously Medeiros, there's Roman, who's had a very impressive couple of years. Obviously, finally got it to manage to get his uh, appearance at the games after five years of qualifying and not being able to compete. Um, as controversial as it might be, Ricky Garad is is definitely a contender. Pat Vellner. I don't know. Uh, it's it comes. It literally everyone at that level is is so good. It just comes down to execution on the week. Like no one's really like any given week could be of the same of the same workouts could be a different winner. Yeah, that's fair. When it comes to like, and I think this is you know, an, like an athlete's perspective in general. It's who's the best at making decisions at that given time. You know, is it decisions to um, have a certain strategy? Is it decisions to run this speed or that speed? Is it decisions to break up the barbell at this five minute, five reps or seven reps or singles? It's just an accumulation of 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 so many decisions, and it's whoever makes the most right decisions when wins at the end because everyone's ability level is mm -hmm. that similar. Um, is that how you found it in twenty fifteen? Just the the small things. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I think um you know, if you look at any any leaderboard and you look at any workout and um I don't know that chipper, for example, it was like mile run, fifty overhead squats, hundred GHDs, hundred and fifty double unders, fifty sumo deadlifts, hundred box overs, there's so many reps and exercises. And you just look at like, like what was the difference? I think I got sixty one box overs if I got 10 reps less, like in terms of time, that's maybe 10 seconds. How many more points is, or how many less points does that give me on the leaderboard? So like yeah. just my rank drop. And it's just so many little things like my decision to when to start pushing those box overs. I went quite early and that paid off because I actually managed to get like 40 reps done in the last minute, which turned out to be this huge 
uh, amount of reps over, over that chipping but it's like that kind of principle for for every single event like there's so many decisions that you're making just constantly that's what i get nervous for is you know making the decisions making the right decisions when it's like when your heart rate's at one 180 and there's music pumping and yeah. uh, you know thousands of people people watching you, you you're nervous that you make the right or wrong wrong decision so in, I suppose in other sports, I mean, that would just be called tactics. You know, so for example, you're looking at tactics and let's say, give an example of uh, football. Um, the players will have autonomy to a certain extent, but somebody else calls the shots in terms of the tactics. Or is it down? Is it purely down to you on that day to decide or yeah, have it, has it been predetermined? Or I guess so. In, in football, like, you've still got an element of decisions. It's like, right, well, does... does um... So John Henderson pass the ball to the right, or does he pass it to the left? Like that's a decision he has got to make at that point, mm-hmm. and that's the decision. If he goes to the right, then then they score. If they go to the left, then he gives the ball away, and 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 they go and score down the other end. Like there's a certain amount of decisions. I think the strategy for obviously football is a little bit different because it's so yeah. open in terms of like how you know how different a game can go. Whereas you obviously know this is what you've got to do in CrossFit. Um, but there's still is still thousands and thousands of decisions like every minute to make. Um, it, it begs the question: How do you train that? Because actually, we see the physical thing. Everybody sees the physical thing. Oh, you need to improve your engine. You need to get stronger. You need to be more flexible. But actually, apart from Emma Hackett when she was talking about kind of um, staying in your own lane and the kind of head bit of it, it's not something that is generally talked about in terms of when to push, when to hold back, how do you do that in training? And I guess some of that is just doing the reps in the workout and knowing where your body is at and what you can and can't do. And is this going to pay off further down the weekend or is it going to kill me tomorrow? I think, um, I think a lot of what, so I think a lot, what a lot of athletes miss in training is that they just train. They'll you see the program. It'll say five minute AMRAP they'll do the five minute amplifiers as they can and then that's it they move on to the next part and they'll just do the workout as much as they can there'll be no like even i've never written anything down after training i probably probably should have done but in my head it's all written down like i know exactly like what my thoughts were of that workout whether i think i did it well or i think it didn't do well what i need to get better at to get better at that workout whether it's energy systems movements techniques whatever and I think a lot of people will just tick that workout off. They're like, I did that workout, onto the next bit, and onto the next bit, and onto the next bit. Finish my workout now, let's go home, have my protein shake and have, have tea. Whereas for me, it's a lot more, like my brain is a lot more... Um, Selective. ...than that, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's breaking down everything, like asking why, you know, why should I use that technique compared to that technique? Or, you know, why should I wear them trainers and, and or not them lifters? Or there's... They're just always feeding back constantly within yourself as to, you know, how I feel right now in this workout, how long is left in the workout, how much more can I push in this workout and what am I basing that off? I'm basing that off last week's performance of, you know, a similar workout and just linking everything together so that, you know, you're not just going to training and you're doing your training and you're taking it off and then hoping that's going to put you in this this position where you're really fit to to win at competitions. You're doing training so that you you learn, you're constantly learning your understanding of what your capacity is to be able to execute 
every workout at your maximum capacity to be able to win. Um, and I think that's a huge difference between uh, athletes who are at the top and athletes who are maybe not getting to the top is that those athletes that you ask any games athlete, like that's their approach to training. They're not just turning up and doing it. Like Sam Briggs is a, a perfect example of someone who's like, you could give her a workout right now and she will know within 30 seconds what a time or what a score will be like. She will just be able to picture it, be like, yep, yeah, that's how I do it. And that's where I'd be. And she, and she was very accurate in that sense. And I feel that's how dialed in you've got to be within yourself um, to be able to. So, you, so then, you know, to make the right decisions when, you know, when the pressure's on the music's thousand decibels and you've got a judge shouting no reps at you here. And it's, you've got this workout on that finish line to get, to make it to the CrossFit games, but you can still just stay dialed in with yourself to be able to, perform and execute like, like you're capable of rather than just getting caught away with all these external influential factors yeah that makes sense that thinking clear under pressure yeah yeah absolutely i think but it's not just i can't i don't think you can just think clear under pressure out of coincidence i think it's something yeah. you have to train and i think that's what training is is for as well as developing yourself physically like it's your understanding of of what your physical capabilities are so that you can always execute them. And that's what I was probably not happy with with 23.1 is I didn't really, I probably overpaced the first half and then didn't have time. The time ran away for me a bit and I didn't have time to catch up towards the end. Whereas maybe seven years ago, if I was the same person physically as I was seven years ago, I'd have probably got into the toaster bar because I would have known, had a better understanding of what my capacity is and when I could you know, where I could be riding the line for 14 minutes rather than I was maybe riding an 18-minute line for 14 minutes rather than a 14-minute line, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Fantastic. Sean, do you have, I'm just conscious of the time. Um, No, I don't. Um, That's cool. I think it's it's just a really good insight into the other side (laughs) of CrossFit that I think maybe rarely gets exposure that it needs in terms of that there's a, there's a definite you know that line of doing it for fitness and being okay and being decent or actually doing it and being successful within the sport and i think that line is quite a, a thick line a thick people. line yeah. yeah it's a thick line and it's a hard one to jump over because i think a lot of people yeah. like we all well we all um get into crossfit as a hobby and we enjoy doing it and then when people try and take it above that line, it has to become more than a hobby. It has to become more of a profession. So then you've got to treat it as your profession. And then like the profession isn't always enjoyable and it isn't always as exciting as what it was when it was a hobby. So that, I think that's when it loses a lot of people and maybe they don't have the longevity in the sport because they maybe aren't prepared to go to that level. So one of our first podcasts, and I can't think who it was, and I'll tell you if you describe it. it. It was Logan Gilbraith, and we were talking about um, enjoying the mundane. Yeah. Because ultimately, that's what you need to be able to do to do things at a professional level, especially in a sporting sense where you have to work through your boring back squats, your positions on your handstand push-ups and just nailing those things, and it's that repetition, repetition, and it's not exciting. But that's the job. If you want to be a top-level it's what you've got to do. Yeah. 
and people walk into a box and think, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the games because I've got this done, dialed in and they have no idea. No, they soon, um, yeah, they soon get an idea. But yeah, I agree. You, 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 uh, you definitely have to, um, I wouldn't say enjoy the mundane, but you have to be okay with it. Because you just understand that it's part of it. It's part of the fact that I've got to set my bike for 75 minutes tonight and just stare at this wall. Um, it's part of it, unfortunately. <laughs> I'll always snatch off blocks with straps, I'm afraid. No. <laughs> Steve, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us on, fellas. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs>